Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast. I am Adam Levecki and I'm here with DK Kim and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. Thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. Adam Levecki, I'm here with DK Kim, and we are your hosts. This is episode one, and we're going to be talking about change and transformation. So, um, DK, let's let's just interact on this idea of God bringing change, which leads to transformation in our life. So, based on your experience and your understanding. How does that happen? Hey, Adam. Uh, really slow. Really, really slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I think about... Well, let me tell you this. My change was probably different from yours because I was an atheist. So it took a long time for me to even even get to the part where Jesus is my Lord. Mm. So I, I had to go through a lot of intellectual hurdles. Like, is God even real? You know, like, like what, what's this all about? So it's, a, it's even before Christianity, I had to accept that there was a higher power and that there is something out of this material world. So I think that was a slow process. I would say, like, the moment I put my butt in a, in a church and listened to a sermon, I say it took about three years to accept Jesus. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite a, a long time. And, man, you, you had, like, I guess you had, like, patience even before you were saved. Yeah. I mean, that'd be difficult. Three years in church, unsaved. I'd, I'd, I'd be out of there like week two. I'd be like, this is crazy. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think I think I was struggling. I was like, is this real? Is this not? Like things going on at church seems a little goofy. I don't know. Do I want to participate? For sure. But this is what this was the driving factor. I knew for sure the world before me, the life before me had nothing to offer me. Wow. So going back wasn't an option. That's, that's a really fascinating um experience that you had with the lord it's like the lord was working behind the scenes in your life before you even knew it was the lord oh yeah oh yeah uh, it's almost like grace is real <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> you know, that's amazing so it's like god is moving in your life you're not really sure yet you keep coming you can't go back and that's awesome because even within the abraham narrative this is the issue with faith the one thing faith understands is i don't know where i'm going maybe but i can't stay here Right, so he had to leave right. his father's house and he had to journey. And so you're on this journey and you're in church three years and you're having some intellectual battles. Mm -hmm. And also, too, I mean, you're Korean, so you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> so you're smart. And that, that's that's an issue sometimes. You know, some of us <laughs> are not too smart. Um, and so so you're so you're wrestling with the idea of God. And so what was what was like how? Were you convinced or convicted in terms of the reality of Christ? Yeah, I think I think even the fact that this was an intellectual battle or only intellectual battle, I think that's the issue. Because looking back now, like you said, God was moving. And even if I think about it, the fact that I even woke up that one day to even go to a church, that was not me. That was a supernatural touch of God. Wow. That was him giving me faith. My faith wasn't manufactured by me, but God gave me that. 
That's awesome. You know, because biblically speaking, right, faith comes by hearing, mm-hmm. which means it doesn't start with me. Yep, exactly. Even faith is a gift. One of the ways I communicate this type of a, of a doctrine, which also really uh, shapes our experience as it relates to faith, is that God puts grace toward me so that I could put faith in him. And even my faith is a gift of God, so we can't boast, but it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so it should be received as a gift. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I couldn't name that was God because I didn't even believe him in yet. But now looking back, 100% that's him. Even all the miracles I've seen in my life, all the transformations I've seen in my life, I would still say the biggest miracle is he took an atheist one day and just told him to go to church and I responded to that. Yeah, that's wild. And, you know, this is the thing I tell people who struggling with faith. You may not believe in God, but God believes in you. Yep, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I mean, that's why I say he literally saved me. He literally saved my life because it wasn't like I was actively pursuing him. It's almost like the gospel is good news. <laughs> Only if, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but what was the driving force was I was not content with my life. I was not content with the world I perceived was real. It just felt like something's off. Like, this can't be it. That's, that's really awesome because that is one of the ways that God brings change is discontent. Mm-hmm. Where we're looking at something, we're like, this is not it. There's got to be more. Like, I can't, um, like, I, this is, you just come to a place in your life where, like, this, there has to be more than this. And, and life is not just about, you know, living, paying bills, and dying. Like, there has to be. Yeah. And so now your heart is seeking. And, the, and, and, and so now what happens? Yeah. I mean, to add to that point, though, I think that discontent, what that really is, is that we're designed. We're designed to live in alignment with God. We're designed to live a certain way. And we're just not something, our body, our spirit, our mind knows we're not living in our design. And that produces that discontent. Yeah, so, that, that also ties into another biblical scripture that says, the law of God is written in the heart of man. So when you're living with less than what God has for you, with, when you're living with less than the design, you, you feel that inwardly and you and, and you experience that discontent. So it's beyond a feeling. It's actually a reality that you are not only feeling, but experiencing. Yeah. And you experience it inwardly, outwardly, relationally, in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, fast forward a little bit. After, after I kind of, I think the biggest thing was the fact that Jesus was even a historically real person. I didn't even know that. I thought he was completely made up. So even just knowing that the secular world is it's histo- he's historically grounded, even if you don't believe Jesus is God, that he's a real person and the Bible is a historical historically sound thing, that blew my mind right away. So this is very interesting. I'm I'm really I'm really glad that you're bringing this forward because one of the things that I would communicate to someone who is literally struggling with the reality of faith and the reality of Jesus and is Jesus a historical accurate real person and is the bible the word of god and like is this real or have we lost our minds and the answer one of the things that I would clearly communicate is let's go back a couple thousand years and let's look at what is a cross and what was a cross used for So a cross was used by the Roman Empire to execute 
non-citizens. So if you were a Roman citizen, Paul, like Paul, he was killed by Rome, he was martyred, he was executed with a sword. So Rome did not crucify its citizens, okay? So now the Roman Empire used crosses to execute non-citizens. So the cross is, in, in essence, a symbol, kind of like an electric chair, except it's 50 times more painful, 100 more times more public, and just more brutal and more slow. So now, fast forward a couple hundred years after Constantine, because of the resurrection, the cross is transformed to a symbol of healing and hope. Even when you go into modern day hospitals, which are actually invented by Christians, you see the cross as a sign of healing. Often you also see uh, a serpent on ambulances, which that's also a sign from Exodus where God told Moses to, to build a serpent, have them look up, and the children of Israel uh, would be healed when they were sick in the wilderness. So both of these symbols culturally in Western culture today were shaped by the power and the reality of God. So let's say you're struggling with, with the Bible and faith. The cross, because of the resurrection, has been transformed to a symbol of hope. Now, Rome, you go to Rome, you, have, you go to the Vatican City, the, the whole tourism and the whole engine of this city is built on the cross. But if there's no resurrection, the, the symbol of the cross is not transformed to a symbol of hope and life, but it's simply just a, a, a means in which you execute non-citizens. And now the very people that used it to execute non-citizens are now using it as a symbol of hope, healing, tourism, economics, commerce. But that doesn't happen outside of a resurrection. Yeah, there's so much there. Just, just yeah, if you, if you just go into the the resurrection account and just how the church blew up from it, it doesn't make sense if it's not real. It has no, to, yeah, historically, yeah. it's a fact. Yeah. You may go, I don't believe it. Yeah. Research it. Yeah. You're talking about a symbol that was transformed from the people that couldn't even keep the guy in the grave. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. Now, now my mental hurdle, I got over it. I accepted Jesus, but I wasn't even changed yet. Wow. That, the transformation just started. I still had my, my bad habits. I still had my issues. I still had my, my hurts, my unforgiveness, my bitterness, my, my addictions, whatever you want to call it. That's still there. Yeah. So, and Jesus accepted me to who I am, yeah. where I was. Yeah. But he's like, I'm doing a new thing in you. And that's where the change begins. That's awesome. Yeah. So the, the good news of the gospel is that we can come to Jesus as we are. And it gets even better. We don't have to stay that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, so you're in the church, you're coming to faith, and then it, this is a great segue to me quoting my old uh, friend, Scott Persley, who is now with the Lord, who was a pastor and a clinical psychologist. But he said that pastoring is like herding snails <laughs> because we change um, incredibly slow. And um, so now you're changing. This is slow. It's happening. And so what, what begins to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, a classic response to a new Christian, a young Christian who's just kind of finding their way, getting their foot in the door, um, and I did the same thing, is you immediately start building a list of what can I do, what I can't do. 
And I think underneath that, what we're really saying is, how can I keep as much as my old ways as my old self and still be in God's good grace? Yeah. But the thing is, you're already there. You don't need to earn God's good grace. You don't need to, to change your behavior and, and clean up to be in, in his love and your, your salvation is settled. What he wants to do is he wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants to clean, clean up things in your heart. He wants to heal things in your heart. And he's transformed from the inside. So I think that's the big um, shift. Once you know that, hey, hey, I'm not doing the changing, but it's really the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit doing the changing. Yeah, and if you can earn it or you deserve it, it's not grace. And grace isn't a license to sin, but it's actually the power to live righteously, not because we're righteous, because he's righteous. And it's his generous love that brings us into right standing with him and makes us righteous doctrinally. And then when we have a revelation of that experientially, we want to partner with God and we want to do what's right. Yeah. And so then you go through this process of like, what can I do? What can I can't do? Can't do, can't do. And then, you know, as you mature, right, which obviously in this, in your, in your situation, you weren't there, but you're there now, right? But now it's like, we, we don't want to just do what's permissible. We want to do what's profitable. And, and when we press into the kingdom, we, we get out of just what is permissible into what is profitable and what is ben, uh, what is beneficial and and that's kind of like the the marks of like the marks of immaturity is like how much of my old life can i keep and the marks of maturity is like how much of my old life can i absolutely crucify so that the life of god can flow through my life yeah i mean how many times did jesus say you have to die with me to have life well that's interesting that you say that it's actually one of the only statements that is in all four Gospels. It says that he who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who seeks to lose his life for my sake will find it. And you see that it's interesting because the only guy who shows up to the foot of the cross is John the Revelator. He's also the only disciple that wasn't martyred. So you have Judas who hung himself because the end of shame is suicide. And if you're struggling with that, that is not God's plan for your life. Actually, it's Satan's plan for your life. So you definitely don't want to do anything to harm yourself because you matter to God, you matter to us, and there is a purpose and a plan for your life. So that's that's one thing. But the only guy that doesn't get martyred out of those other 11 guys is John. Mm. He who seeks to save his life. He's the only guy that showed up at the foot of the cross. He's the only one that wasn't martyred. Now, they tried to put him in boiling oil twice. That didn't work. They wouldn't, couldn't even burn the guy. And then they exile him to Patmos, which is like a psych ward on, a, on, a, on an island. And then he writes Revelation there. It's like they're trying to punish him, but it's actually him getting in position to fulfill his purpose. So God, although he's not the almighty manipulator and although he's not in control, like controlling every little thing, he is almighty. He is sovereign. He is powerful and he is in charge. And ultimately, when we yield our heart to him, his plans and purposes for our life come forth. That, that's a key word right there, the yielding, the yielding. I think, um, yeah, one thing we have to be very clear is it's not our willpower. We're not striving we're not like trying to like force ourselves into this into this Christian character that we think God wants us to be, but it's really just yielding and surrendering to His. First of all, yielding only works if you know who you're yielding to, 
and that you trust the person you're yielding to. You're not going to yield to someone that has your ba- the worst intentions in mind. You yield to someone who has your best intentions in mind. Exactly. So I think in the beginning, you also got to know who is God, like who is the Father, and really start building trust. Like, does he have my best intentions in mind? And I think God's such a gentleman. He doesn't just force your, himself in there and try to take over everything, but he even offers, hey, give me a little bit. Give me a little bit of this, I'll show you I'm good. Give me a little bit of that, I'll show you I'm good. And then you build that up enough for just trust. So you're like, you know what? Everything. You have everything and everything will be better. So yeah. I think that yielding is like the, the perfect word and how you even access transformation through the Father. Yeah, and I, what's awesome about yielding is that the more you yield, the more you see why you should yield. You know, it's like God is incredibly good, incredibly generous. The Father is the easiest person to be around. God is holy. He's not uptight. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, so the first thing I really want to say about this is we really got to understand who is doing the transforming. Is it you or is it God? And there's a couple of passages um, in in Scripture that says that the Holy Spirit does the sanctifying work. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. And even um, Jesus in John says that he sent the advocate, the counselor, and in Greek, the counselor, the, the word advocate is parakletos, which means call to come alongside. So you have help. It's not You're not alone to start your transformation. You're not even the source of the transformation. It's really in this yielding we're talking about where, where it begins. So I think even that, that posture of fixing your eyes on God and saying, it's not me, it's not my willpower, but it's God that's doing it. I think that, that accelerates you a lot. Yeah, God's will is that we would surrender our will. And all the self-help books in the world have, got, have only got us more self-hatred. <laughs> <laughs> and so th- that, it, this is not self. Self is, we need to deny ourself in the sense of things that are sinful and destructive. And we need to apply ourselves to righteousness. So that there is my part in God's will. But one of the things that we have to understand is that I cannot do God's will and God will not do my will. And there's a, there's a really powerful story in Acts 12 where the angel of the Lord wakes Peter up and he hits him on the side and he says, wake up, you know, put your shoes on and put your belt on. And, um, and so he does that. And then he opens the door and, and Peter miraculously gets out of jail. So it's like, God is not going to put your shoes on and he's not going to buckle your belt, but he will supernaturally direct you and open up doors for you and he will do for you what you're unable to do for yourself but he will require your participation he will give you clear instructions so that you can partner with him and do his will by basically participating and listening you know faith comes by hearing Hmm. so we have to be listening that's why the scripture says be slow to speak quick to listen. That's well, not just listen. The word there is actually obey. So God wants us to be willing um, to obey. And you may be listening to this and you're like, I don't know God. I'm not willing. I want to I want do what I want to do. There's a great uh, intercessor named Reese Howell. He wrote this famous book called The Intercessor. And he prayed. His prayer was like, God, make me willing to be made willing. And, and I think that maybe you're listening right now. And you're like, I just want to do my own thing. Man, I challenge you, pray a prayer that says, God, make me willing to be made willing. And you will find out in surrendering and in in asking God to work in your life that God is better than you think. 
He has more for you than you think. He is able to exceed your expectations. And there's things that you want to do and you want to have. And there's things that you're, there's this plan that you have. And I promise you, God is better than you think. Yeah, Adam, you know, um, another thing that came to mind is what really accelerated my transformation years down the line is understanding my identity and my authority. In other words, understanding I had a heritage in the line of Jesus Christ. I think before that, I didn't really understand what that was. I didn't know about authority. But once that came into the picture, that changed everything. That changed, yeah, like everything just accelerated. I was, yeah. So I kind of want to ask you about it because, you know, you're not, you're not like, your story's not like mine. You you are yeah. in, you're, you're a second generation, third generation Christian. And how does that heritage, that identity, knowing who you are really like, you know, play a factor in transforming? Yeah, so for me, I was really reluctant to come back to Jesus because I grew up seeing miracles. I grew up in Pastor Jason Alvarez's church. He was the worship leader of Shambach. These are people in the Word of Faith, Latter Rain, healing movement. We saw miracles. We grew up in a supernatural environment. God provided, put money in a bank account. I seen a guy get out of a wheelchair. I mean, I seen all types of crazy stuff as a kid. So I was very reluctant um, to come back to the Lord because I didn't want to die to myself. So, when, But I didn't have any intellectual hurdles. So healing, miracles, provision, power, protection, identity, purpose, all that stuff was woven into the fabric of my faith. So none of those things were in question. So who Jesus is and what Jesus does was not in question. So the issue with me was me, right? So it wasn't like, well, is this real? Is this that? So I had beyond a shadow of a doubt on my most wicked and evil day as a sinner, I could have told you for sure, Jesus Christ is real. The Bible is the word of God. I just don't want to do it. So no matter how far away you were, that was never in question. Never in question. Wow. In wow. fact, I was when I was a kid, I was smoking weed and I used to tell my friends, bro, one day I'm going to leave this and I'm never going to come back. And they're like, bro, you're crazy. And I was 100% serious because I knew in my spirit this was real, but I, I had a fatal attraction to the world. It almost cost my life. It could have cost my life many times. And if I would have died in my sin, I would have woke up in hell. That's the reality. I know that it's hard for people to swallow, but that is the reality. If I would have perished in my sin, I would have woke up in hell. And I still, we're old school. We believe hell is still hot and, and eternal, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not a place that God wants anyone to go. That's why Jesus tasted death for every man. So for me, I didn't have that intellectual hurdle and I didn't have that because I came as a second generation Christian and, and that was the one thing that I had not perfect parents, but faithful parents. And I came from a powerful church with a powerful pastor where, where people believed in the power and the provision and the word of God. So for me, it was like it was settled. Mm. I wasn't settled. So you knew you had a heritage. You knew you had, you had something for stored sure. up for you. For sure. And, and here is in, in, in the book of John, it says that to those who believed, he gave them power to become the sons of God. So the word there is not power in English. It's the word exousia in, uh, in Greek, which is the word authority. So in our identity, we have authority. So we have authority and the, the, the identity and our authority together brings us into an assignment. Mm. And so I was, I was very convinced of that. I live with this conviction that there was something more that God had for my life. I didn't know exactly what it was, 
But I'll tell you what God did use. God used a crisis. He didn't send the crisis, but he used the crisis to bring me and to call me and to get me into a place where my heart was being made willing, even though I wasn't willing. Mm. So can you talk about this? Because I feel like in my story, transformation was more like I was deconstructed and I was built into something new. Almost like my past reality was was gone and I was kind of like a baby being formed new. How about you? Like when you came back to the Lord, was it, it's, it must be a different kind of picture. Right? Yeah, it was trans- different. It was like I just started speaking in tongues again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my, like I didn't, like demons just left me. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I, like I, I didn't go through like a convulsion, like, oh, you know, but like my demons were gone. Mm. <laughs> like I, I don't, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, even one time I, I was, I was laying on my bed and I was picked up. You know, f- f- by like demons, like literally, like physically picked up. Mm. And I heard this, this, this voice from God, she'll take your life. It was talking about the girlfriend I was with at the time. And God was saying, that's not my plan for your life. So God was really like forming me and working in my life before I fully had even embraced all that. And so when I came back, I came back like I had an inheritance. Kind of like the prodigal son, you know, he comes back. He doesn't deserve a ring. He doesn't deserve a robe and he doesn't deserve sandals, but his father's good. So it's like, I come back and the father's like, hey, welcome home. You know, I'm like, wow, this is great. And so there was things that, you know, to be honest, that I was delivered of like immediately. Like like I was one day smoking weed in Hackensack by my friend's mom's uh, uh, cell phone shop. And I'm smoking this purple haze, hitting that blunt, boo, boo, boo. And I flick it and I go, I'll never smoke weed again in my life. And I never smoked weed again in my life. And I didn't even, that wasn't my power and my strength. That was God's mercy. That's an interesting point you make. Um, I feel like sometimes we think, oh, when we walk walk alongside God, it's like this resistance of things we love. Like we can't do the things we love, the things we desire. That's got to be forfeited. But the reality is he actually changes our desires. Like things that tasted good taste bad. And Bro. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, a huge part of transformation. That is so huge. It's like for someone who, let's say you used to smoke cigarettes. Someone who used to smoke, they're going to get this. When you're sick, cigarettes taste disgusting. Now, to me, cigarettes smell disgusting. I haven't tasted them in 18, 19 years. But when you're when you like cigarettes, when you smoke a pack of Newport today, when you get sick cigarettes taste disgusting, even if you love them, you know? And so I find that when God moves in, the desires change, the taste buds change, the things that you like, like I, I it's just God goes to work. And you read Isaiah 61, it talks about God has anointed, uh, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And, and the first place that God goes to work is to bind up the brokenhearted. So the first place that God goes to work is on the inside, which changes desire and perception. And that's really, really powerful as it relates to shaping where you are and where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the language we use, like death to self, surrender, laying it down, it sounds like a very hard, painful like, why would anyone want to do that? But I think we missed the point. If we know who we're doing it to, who doing it for, you know the end product is far better than what you're work walking with. Yeah. And I think that's the key we have to get. Like, who are you? Like, who are you submitting to? Yeah, and also who's doing it with us? Yeah. 
Yeah. Emmanuel, God with us. That the good news of the gospel is it's not like, oh, you go to heaven when you die. It's like God is like, nah, you you guys are so dysfunctional and broken and crazy. I'm moving in. It's yeah. like, what? It's like God says, I'm gonna move in. I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna go to work on the inside. This is this is good news. And the more you you get to know God, the more you trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you trust him, the more you're willing to yield to him. And the more you yield to him, you then begin to live with the fruits of what he has, which is a lot more than what you have. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like this count the cost, count the cost. Yeah. The cost is that Jesus paid it. And yeah, you may get persecuted. You may get martyred. You may even die. But guess what? You got a crown of life. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's a Christianity. Faith in Christ is a win, win. What do you lose? Oh, I'm so sorry. You lost a terrible addiction to cocaine. You lost an addiction to pornography. Oh, that's that's unfortunate that you actually love and respect people and, and that you don't uh, view women as an object, but actually as someone created in the image and likeness of God. Oh, I'm terribly sorry that now you love your wife and your kids. Oh, you've become a functional human. Terrible. Can you talk a little bit about guilt versus conviction? Because I feel like God uses conviction to form us and change us and, you know, respond to. But then it's very close evil cousin is guilt. And how does yeah. that how does that work in someone's life when they're trying to change? So the enemy wants to keep people with shame so that he can use guilt to manipulate them. Okay? So when God exposes something broken in my life, like you see this in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And when you see the Lord, when you encounter the Lord, he makes you aware of your sin and your brokenness, but he doesn't just leave Isaiah there. An angel comes and, and with a coal from the altar cleanses his mouth. So God doesn't just go, oh, you're messed up. Too bad. You know, fig figure it out. God is like, no, let's identify this thing. And then God touches the area that's broken and brings healing. So guilt and shame leave me stuck where I am feeling bad about myself but conviction calls me to a higher standard, but it's also, there's grace there. There's mercy that doesn't, I don't get what I deserve, but then grace goes, gives me what Jesus deserves. And now that now I'm empowered to live right. And I would just say that there's one thing else as well, is that there's, there's something called godly sorrow. The Bible says that godly sorrow works repentance. And so you know that the sorrow is godly, when someone starts changing because confession is like, Hey, there's something wrong, but repentance means I start to reframe how I think and reshape how I live. And so now I'm pursuing a different direction because of conviction. So shame and, and guilt leave you stuck, but godly sorrow works repentance. Yeah. So that I think that actually the fear of the Lord and godly sorrow is something that many people in this generation miss. And so the enemy releases condemnation, God releases conviction. Conviction is the power to make what is wrong right by the touch and help of God. Yeah. So so it's like God's not like, "Oh, yep, you got cancer, you're going to die." God's like, "Oh, look, that's cool. Let's remove that. I got you." So it's a, it's a very different voice. Yeah. And I think also being very clear on what repentance looks like. I think some people confuse it with like feeling bad about yourself, feeling sorry and like 
groveling, but what it really means is that you're changing how you think about that. You're changing the way you view it, and your mind changes to change your behavior. Yeah. It's kind of like broccoli. You know, like when you're a kid, you're like, I hate broccoli. I don't want broccoli. It's disgusting. And you get older, you get a good job, and you're like, man, I want some organic broccoli in my beef and broccoli because you realize because you've matured, your perspective has changed, and your taste buds have changed, and you know that actually this is good for me. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's that's an important that's that's a picture kind of like of maturity and repentance in the sense of as we grow, our perspective changes and our taste buds or our desires change. Yeah. And I think a big way to under, even know what's good for you or what's bad is also the mind of discernment. There's lies and there's truths. And I think a lot of transformation is, is predicated on you understanding what's true, grabbing hold of that, and replacing the lies you've been living with. So you have any um, thoughts on that? Yeah. It's critical that we have an authentic and real and ongoing relationship with Scripture, with the Holy Spirit's help, because scripture helps me to see not only Jesus, but the standards of God as it relates to different issues. So that's a really, really important thing. It is my job to renew my mind. It is my job to read God's word, to believe what God is saying, to give myself to the gifts that he's given me, to give myself back to him, to honor him, to put him in the place that he deserves. And so like when I, when I live a lifestyle of repentance... When I live a lifestyle of confession in the sense of like, the Bible says confess your sins to God and also confess your faults to one another. So there has to be this this transparency and this humility and this honesty where there's a desire for accountability so that there can be growth and transformation, which is what we're interacting on. We're we're talking about this idea of, of transformation, but really change leading to transformation. And so I partner with God in renewing my mind you know Mm -hmm. and i i I would just encourage those who are listening like the red letter renewal like why don't you start with the gospels why don't you start with the epistles the epistles are the greatest commentaries on the gospels because paul and the other writers are weaving or the gospel they're, they're they're weaving the gospel into a community of people yeah we really need to get back to the text the scripture as foundational The text leads to transformation. Amen. Amen. And I think we lost a lot of that in today's generation, but it's like, where, where, what's discipling us? If we're not letting that disciple us, something is discipling us. You're not, not getting discipled by something. Yeah. And the truth, this is another thing. The truth brings freedom. The truth doesn't bring control. We have this idea that God is not a control freak. It's only insecure people who are control freaks. So the idea, God is in control, God is in control. Every time we can't understand something, God is in control. No, God is in charge and we're going to have to give an account to him. But it's the truth that brings freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God wants us to be free, to be loved by him and to love him. And that's how we know the change and the transformation is real when we start giving that type of love away to other people. And even loving ourselves. There's some people who are listening to this, they hate themselves. They have an ongoing dialogue with themselves. They speak to themselves in ways they would never speak to someone else. They're living with self-hatred, self-bitterness, doing self-destructive stuff. And God is like, stop that. I love you. Renew your mind. Let, let, me, let me transform your heart. 
Yeah. Let me help you in this process. And and that's that's what God is saying to, to people. Let that, me help you. Yeah, that's another key thing you just hit upon. If you want to change, you need to be healed too. Yeah. And there are places in our lives that's just because you forgot about it, just because you shoved it away, just because you didn't think about it for 10, 15 years, it doesn't mean you're healed. It's just manifesting in other ways. So yeah, part of this process is God is touching places in, in your heart that he wants to heal in your soul. And that's so, so, so important for transformation. Yeah. And, and Jesus is a healer. You know, I was referencing Isaiah 6 earlier. And in, the, in, in Isaiah 6, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. The principle there, the truth there, is that whatever you're lacking, God wants to be that. So, hey, there's no throne, there's no king, God is seated on the throne. Hey, I'm sick, God wants to be your healer. Hey, I don't have a father, he's a father to the fatherless. Hey, uh, I, you know, I'm having a financial struggle, he wants to be your provider. So, this is, this is what I want to say to those who are listening. Wherever you're lacking, that's where the Lord Jesus wants to show up in your life. Amen. In closing, it's really critical that we partner with God in making the necessary changes and adjustments that he's showing us in his word or by his spirit so that we could be transformed into who he's called us to be. I think that that's a very, very important reality for us to remember as we wrap up this episode. This is Adam Levecki. And DK Kim, we are your hosts. Thanks for listening. So in episode one, I've made a bunch of references to Isaiah 6. And so there's going to be a bonus episode next on Isaiah 6. I'm going to walk you through Isaiah 6, and it's going to be a blessing. It's going to give a scriptural context to how we change and how we're transformed and how we step into the assignment that God has for our life. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.